today is actually a very important day in the church calendar, in the history of the church. It's a day, unfortunately, that often gets overlooked in our tradition, and we need to change that. And so this morning, I want us to look together in Acts chapter 2 as we talk about the day of Pentecost. We're in uh, Acts chapter 2. And what we find out in, uh, as we read the story of what happened on this day is that Pentecost is basically the birthday of the church. And that's why we need to celebrate it every year. It is, it is the birthday of the universal church. Look with me in Acts chapter 2. And as we, uh, as we look at it, I want to uh, just walk you through the story. Beginning at verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Notice, first of all, that it talks about the day of Pentecost. Well, that's, um, uh, that's not a name that came to be on this day. It's actually um, a, a holiday or a feast that they celebrated for a very long time. You can go all the way back to the Old Testament, and it lays out three big feasts, and one of those was a feast that celebrated the... Um, that celebrated the, the harvest at, uh, of that year. Uh, as they brought in everything, they would take the first fruits, the, the first and the best parts of the crop, and give that to the Lord, and they would celebrate and say thank you. Well, that's how that feast started. It was always the 50th day after Passover. And the word Pentecost means 50th. So in the Old Testament, they had that, that harvest kind of a feast. Well, then in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that feast kind of changed as Judaism kind of changed over time. Instead of just being about the harvest, that holiday became a day to say thank you to God for his law. And by the way, modern day Jews continue to celebrate it in that way. That day is a day, 50 days after Passover, is a day to say thank you to God for giving us his law. So on this day in Acts chapter 2, the people have all gathered together, and by now they use a Greek word to describe that holiday. That Greek word is Pentecost. It's, it's a word that means 50th. It's 50 days after Passover. Now I've stressed that three times on purpose. Because you remember what happened to Christ the weekend of Passover. Jesus died on the cross on Friday, was resurrected over the weekend, and an empty tomb discovered on Sunday morning. That was the time of Passover. Forty days after his resurrection, he ascended back up. To heaven. When he came back to life after the crucifixion, he walked among his disciples for 40 days and then he went back to heaven. Now he told them ahead of time that was going to happen, but he said, when I go back to heaven, the Holy Spirit's going to come down. And 10 days after the ascension, after he went back to heaven, 10 days later, we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2. 
When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They gathered because it was the day of the feast. It was the day to celebrate that God had given them the law. But God was going to make this day something new and special this time. And this is the day the Holy Spirit shows up. I love that verse 1, and I, I spent a good bit of time kind of hanging out there this week. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And I thought of this morning, that we are finally all together in one place. We don't have two services. We don't do the video stuff. We are here. Even those who are worshiping via live stream, you are here with us in this one place. Place. I know physically you may not be in the room, but you're worshiping with us. And so we are together just like they were. Makes this birthday celebration so much more meaningful. So let me walk through as quickly as I can. Let me walk through this chapter with you as we get a sense of what happened on that day and now an, a better understanding of what happens in our lives on a regular basis by the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to show you, first of all, that there was a power revealed. There was a power revealed, starting in verse 2. Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that there was wind, but there was that sound of a mighty rushing wind. And you know what that sound is. You, you've heard it. You step outside when the wind is really blowing and it's beating your eardrums and, and there's something happening. Well, you can't see the wind and you can't see the spirit. By the way, in Greek, those two words are the same. Wind and spirit are the same Greek word. And so there's no, it's no surprise that wind would represent the presence of the Holy Spirit. They couldn't see him, but boy, they could hear that something was happening. This suddenly from, this, from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. There was this sound of wind and there was tongues of fire that rested on each of them. There was a power that was revealed. In Matthew chapter 3 at verse 11, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John the Baptist said that it would be this way, and certainly now, as the Holy Spirit begins to appear among God's people, there is this sound of a mighty rushing wind and that fire that represents his presence. Often in Scripture, fire represents the presence of God. You remember Moses is out watching the sheep and he looks over and there's a bush that's, that's, that's on fire, but the bush isn't being consumed. There's just this fire kind of in and around and all over this bush and it catches his attention and from the fire he hears the voice of God. And then he brings the people out of Egypt and they wander through the wilderness. How do they know where to go while they're in the wilderness? During the day there's a pillar of cloud and at night there is a pillar of fire. God leads them through the wilderness with this presence of 
fire. And so there's no surprise then that he would show up in a mighty way. There's a sound of a mighty rushing wind and there is fire that is present. In Hebrews chapter 12 at verse 29, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that our God is a consuming fire. That is the way we understand his presence. So what happens when you combine wind and fire? You have a major blaze. When I was a, a kid, I was in Boy Scouts. And uh, one of the, one of the, I think one of the most important things you learn in Boy Scouts is how to build and control a fire. And so you'll, you know, you, you, you dig the pit and you, and you, you, you put the tinder and you get it all going. And once the tinder really gets going, if you put the big heavy wood on there first, you're going to foul it up. Because fire has to be able to eat air, it has to be able to eat oxygen. And if you, if you cover the thing up too quickly, it can't breathe. And so you put the tender and you get it started and then you put the little stuff on there. And then because you built that pit, the air can go under it. And so you get down on the ground and you, and you blow. When you've got little embers there and you feed it that wind, it starts, to, it starts to, to burn brighter and hotter. And so that fire goes and goes. And I don't know why, but I just had a special gift for blowing on the fire. And in my scout troop, I earned the nickname Dragon Breath. I could just blow that, th I, I don't know, I knew when and where and how to blow that fire and I could make that thing come up like that. When there's wind and there's fire, then it becomes a blaze. And that is the, the story of how the church came alive. The church was together. 120 disciples at this point have gathered together in the same place at the same time. They got together to worship and to, and to celebrate this important feast. But God said, okay, today we're going to start something new. And he breathed that, that fire upon them. And the church became alive. The church was born. Look at verse 4. In verse 4, we see a people empowered. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were a people empowered. The Holy Spirit did not just show up in, in the sound of the wind and in the fire because it wasn't just about, hey, look, the Holy Spirit's here. The Holy Spirit came for a purpose. He came to empower God's people. And so there wasn't just a sound and a sight, but then he filled those believers. It says that he came inside and he filled them, empowering them. And when that happened, they began to speak in other tongues. Now, this is not the, the kind of speaking in tongues that is like a prayer language or it's something that, that nobody understands. This is not a heavenly language that has to be interpreted. In this case, this was a person who had never been to Germany and all of a sudden was speaking German. This is someone who had never, had never learned the Spanish language and yet he was speaking in Spanish. These were specific languages that these people could not have known and that's significant and we're going to talk about the reason for that in just a moment. But before we go too far, I want us just to celebrate the birthday. 
they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. They came alive. It's just like the little puppet. Once, the, once you put your hand inside the puppet, the puppet becomes alive. And as I started thinking about the church's birthday on that day, two things came to mind right off the bat. One was that we were going to celebrate the church's birthday this year on May 23, which just so happens to be the birthday of my only child. So when she saw the title, Happy Birthday, on my sermon, she thought I was going to talk about her. Well, I'm not. (laughs) But happy birthday, baby. The other thing that came to mind as I realized we were going to celebrate the birthday of the church was this guy. Do you remember this guy? Who is that? Frosty. Frosty the Snowman. He's just a snowman. He's just standing there, made out of snow. But then they find this magic hat, and they put the hat on him. And you remember what happens? They put that hat on him, and that that pile of snow, that that frozen man just comes to life. Happy birthday. Now, you can push any analogy too far. So don't hear what I'm not saying. All right? I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit is magic. Nor am I saying that the church is a snowman, although I have met some congregations that are pretty chilly. <laughs> the only thing that I want you to see in this, in this illustration is that which was not alive became alive. The church had gathered, but they were not yet the church. Thus far, they were 120 Jews who believed that Messiah had come. And they believed that Messiah had died and even that he came back to life. But they were not yet the church until the Holy Spirit showed up and they heard something from heaven and they saw something powerful that represented the presence of God himself. And from that moment on, the church became alive and was changed. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus told them that it would be that way. Jesus told his disciples, now before I go up to be with the Father, before I ascend, uh, y'all stay right around here. Don't go anywhere. Don't do too much. Stay right here close to home, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the end of the earth, the Holy Spirit will come and he will change you into a powerful witness. You will become the church. This past year has been difficult on all of us. And for a a while there, for quite a while, we didn't have a building We weren't sitting in our pews. There was no pulpit, no projector, no hymnal, no altar, no baptistry, and yet we were still the church. Why? Because this room does not make us the church. They were in a room, but they weren't the church. 
What makes us the church is that the Holy Spirit has filled believers and it is his power that unites us and combines our efforts toward a common goal of sharing his message with the rest of the world. The last night that Jesus shared with his disciples, they are in that upper room and he is preparing them for, uh, for his departure. He's preparing them for his crucifixion and resurrection. And he tells them the most important things that he wants them to know. And it is in that ultimately important conversation that Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus said, I have to leave you. I'm going away, but I'm going to send another helper. I'm going to ask the Father. He's going to send another helper, an advocate, who won't ever leave He will be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you. Remember, that was before Pentecost. That was before the Holy Spirit came. And he says, the Holy Spirit dwells with you right now. The Holy Spirit used to show up at times. He used to empower people for a moment. But Jesus said, it's going to change You know him for he dwells with you and will be future in you. Jesus was telling them there's going to be a day when the Holy Spirit is actually within your life, empowering you and strengthening you and putting together the church for his glory. They were a people empowered. And then let me show you a past undone. This text, this this great story tells us about a past undone. Look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, that's the sound of the mighty wind, at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? Wait a minute. I thought these were Texans, and we know how Texans talk. And they ain't talking like no Texan. What is going on? Verse 8, How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Pamphylia, I'm sorry, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. What is going on? The language had expressed something new is happening. You remember in the Old Testament, there's a story about the time that all the people got together and they said, you know what? There's enough of us that we could, we could build a tower all the way up to heaven. We don't really need God because we're smart enough. We got the technology. If we work together, we can do anything. So let's get together and, and let's all just, let's build our own tower up to heaven. We don't need God. And he started building this tower and God said, all right, I can see that I'm going to have to remind you 
that you do need me. And so as they all started working together to build this tower, he did something amazing. He created different languages. And all of a sudden, all these people that were exactly the same became very different. And they spoke in different languages and could no longer coordinate their efforts. They no longer could build on their own and do by themselves. And God was saying, you need me and I'm here for you. That was the Tower of Babel when God created all the new languages. But now what happens? When the Holy Spirit shows up, the Holy Spirit says, now we're starting something new. Now we're going to bring all the nations of the world together. Now those in Spain are going to worship, and those in Germany are going to worship, and those in Africa are going to worship, and those in, in Asia are going to, we're going to bring everybody together. And in the Holy Spirit, we are going to be united as one massive church, one universal church to bring glory to God. He undid the past. In the past, they were separated, but in the Holy Spirit, in the day of Pentecost, they were brought back together. And I love that, that each, each of these groups out here said they could, they could hear the disciples speaking in their own tongues. And I don't know, I just always wondered, what did they say? When these people over here heard in their own language, these disciples, what were the disciples saying? I don't know, I, it, just in my mixed up imagination, I can just picture some of them saying, we got spirit, yes we do, we got spirit, how about you? Now, you know that's not what they were saying, because verse 11 told us what they were saying. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They were receiving the message, the glory of God. That is a proclamation spread. That's the next thing I want you to see in our story, a proclamation spread. As, as he was sharing, as the disciples were sharing the good news, the great things that God was doing, that word got out to all the different people of all the different lands, and that proclamation began to spread. Again, they are fulfilling what Jesus called them to do. When there were, back when there were only 11 of them, Jesus told them in Matthew chapter 28, one of the last things he said to them before he left them in the ascension, he said, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Until this time, it was Israel's job as God's chosen people. It was Israel's job to tell the world of him and to bring him glory to everyone in the world. And by the time Jesus came, they weren't doing a very good job of it. And so he says to the disciples, now it's your job. Now you are going to tell the world, but you're going to do it in a different way. Instead of doing it as the, as the Jews have done it by telling about the law, you guys are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you're going to be able to speak to other lands and you're going to take my good news all around the world. So even though we are different, we come from different backgrounds, we look different, we dress differently, 
Our skin is not all the same color. We don't speak the same language. Some of us go to the Catholic Church, some to the Methodist Church, some to the Brethren Church, some to the Baptist Church. We are different, and yet in the Spirit, we are united. If God is your Father, you've heard me say it before, if God is your Father, then I'm your brother. Doesn't matter what label you wear. We are united in the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at verse 13. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, all were made to drink of one spirit. And so on this day, the past was undone and the proclamation spread. As people used to not be able to understand different languages, now the Holy Spirit has united the entire world around the good news of God's great works. Now, let's finish quickly these last three observations. It won't take long, but I have to show you a prophecy fulfilled. There was a prophecy fulfilled. I think we're at verse 12 now. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. <laughs> they're just drunk. Verse 14, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, that's 9 a.m., but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Joel prophesied hundreds of years previous that this is how it would happen. And Peter now says, guys, you're seeing the prophecy being fulfilled. This is the Holy Spirit who is filling us and bringing us together to pronounce the good news of God's great works. There was a prophecy fulfilled. And then there was a preacher inspired. Because Peter stood up and he started saying, hey, we're not drunk. Let me tell you what's happening. The Holy Spirit is here, just like Joel said it would be. And then he breaks off into what is the greatest sermon in church history. You say, wait a minute, Jesus preached the best sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Ah, but that wasn't church history. It wasn't a church in the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon in church history. Peter says to the people, you are seeing your Old Testament coming alive before your very eyes. The Holy Spirit is here. And he goes through the whole process explaining to them who they are as the house of Israel and how even they themselves put their own Messiah to death, how he died for them. And he sums it up in verse 36. At verse 36 of this great chapter, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He was a preacher inspired, and he told them the good news of Jesus Christ. And finally, let me show you a promise made. A promise made. 
We'll continue now at verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they heard Peter's great sermon. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You didn't have to be one of the original 120. He says, now any of you who believe in Jesus as Messiah and you acknowledge that he died for you, you can accept him into your life and the Holy Spirit will fill you just like he filled us. You too can have that full, abundant, and free life that comes from the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's us, folks. All who are far off is us, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Talk about church growth. 3,000 people came to know the Lord Jesus Christ in that moment. A promise made. You too can experience the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit of God within your life. If you'll acknowledge Jesus is the Christ, confess that he is Lord, believe that he died and came back to life for you, and then you live for him. The Holy Spirit's power will guide you through the rest of your life. 